Today we're wrapping up our, uh, our summer course on the letters of John. So most of the summer we spent in 1 John. Last week we made it into uh, 2 John and did a one-off there. This, uh, yeah, today we're, we're going to be in 3 John. We'll do the whole book today and then, uh, and then move into yeah, some other classes uh, beginning next week. Uh, but, but all three of these letters of John share the same background. So the Apostle John wrote them. Uh, two Christians in the region of Asia Minor, likely from Ephesus. And, and what's apparent as we work our way through these letters is that, um, and can you guys hear me okay in the back? Just want to make sure, okay. Um, <clears throat> yeah, what's apparent in these letters is that there had been some who were part of the church, uh, yeah, who had been teaching false doctrine uh, regarding the nature, uh, the person, the work of Jesus in his incarnation. And because they're off there, uh, they're, they're also off in, in yeah, teaching about what it means to faithfully follow him. And so the fruit of the false teaching that's, that's being taught uh, was to downplay the necessity for living holy lives, to downplay the necessity for loving one another in the way that Christ had loved them, uh, to downplay what it meant uh, to, to strive for godliness. And, and so, yeah, just the way that works out in relationships is, is they're lacking uh, the kind of love for brothers and sisters that characterizes um, Christians, people who actually know God. Um, and and it's, it's apparent that their lack of love was very much connected to uh, their lack of seeing Jesus rightly. It was connected to their lack of holding to the truth um, yeah, as, as revealed in the scriptures uh, by God. Uh, and so Ben Robin told us last week in Second John, you cannot walk in love if you do not walk in truth. I think we're going to continue to see that uh, played out in the letter that we're in here today. Um, and, and even you know, on the flip side of that, you, you, can't, you can't actually uh, hold to the truth if you, if you do not love. Uh, and so they, they ne- necessarily go together. Um, yeah, so as a result of all these things, there had been division in the church. Some had gone out from them. Uh, yeah, some of the false teachers, some of their followers had left the church making it apparent that they, uh, yeah, they were not uh, together in holding, holding to the truth. And so John, he's writing these letters uh, to make sure that, that uh, their recipients, those who are reading the letters, uh, know that he and the fellow apostles had, had actually seen Jesus. They had actually touched him with their hands. They had actually heard him with their own ears. They had, they had seen the works that he had done among them. Um, yeah, they were eye, eyewitnesses. And so John wants the, the believers to know Jesus really came. He really taught. He came bodily so that he could atone for sin. He came, um, yeah, and, and died and was raised uh, as the first fruits of the resurrection so that he might raise us up as well, not only spiritually, but also physically, the whole person. Jesus, Jesus loves um yeah, loves his people. He came in the flesh. And John wants to encourage God's people uh, to believe the gospel as it had been delivered by he and the apostles. Uh, he's giving pastoral, loving reminders um, yeah, that what it means to follow Jesus uh, necessarily includes 
uh, loving uh, Jesus people. Okay. So last week, Second John, we saw that deceivers, John calls uh, them deceivers. Uh, they had gone out into the world proclaiming their false teaching. Um, Jesus did not come in the flesh is, was their message. Um, and, and, and to believe that, to teach that is evidence of their not knowing God. And so um, all of this serves as helpful, I think, context for Third John, which we're uh, yeah, about to jump into. Uh, but a similar, a similar issue is also in view here. Okay, so what should be done about those who, who go out uh, teaching in the name of Jesus? Is there a difference between how we, how we relate to those who go out teaching false doctrines about Jesus and how we relate to those who teach the truth about Jesus? Um, how should we think about showing hospitality uh, and love uh, and support to these missionaries? Uh, do we desire to help prop up their ministry? Uh, and so, yeah, I think together these letters are giving insight into, um, yeah, what are the requirements, what are the boundaries uh, of, of hospitality and the love that we're called to practice as Christians, okay? So let's go, let's go Third John. Uh, I'm going to read for us, actually, I'd love for one of you guys to read for us the first four verses. Uh, if you read, be mindful, this is a long room, and so please, a long and skinny room, so please read loudly so that everyone in the room can, can hear. I got it. Great. Thank you, Lau. The elder to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. Beloved, I pray that all may go well with you and that you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. For I rejoiced greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truth, as indeed you are walking in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Good. Yeah, so we have the elder is writing. Who is the elder? John. Yeah, the elder is signifying that he's a, he's a pastor. Uh, his function is to pastor God's people. Um, and he's writing to the beloved Gaius, okay? Gaius is one whom he loves, um, and he qualifies that love, whom I love in the truth, okay? So, uh, so first of all, one difference between this book and previous books, uh, the previous letters of John, uh, is that this is not written to an entire church. This is written to a person, right? A person named Gaius. Um, yeah, people have, have sought to connect him to different references to Gaius uh, in the New Testament. I don't think we have any reason uh, to do that or any way to know if, if that's actually true. So I think suffice it to say, Gaius is, is one whom John loves uh, and uh, he loves him and, and he's, he's some sort of leader in the church uh, and he loves them. He loves him in truth. Okay, so this is not, uh, not intended to be, I truly love you. This is intended to be, I love you in the truth. We share together as partners in the truth. Uh, and you can see just even as you look at even the verses that we're in. Um, yeah, verse 3 says, the end of verse 3, walking in the truth. Verse 4, children are walking in the truth. And so, yeah, it helps us sort of understand what, what does he mean by uh, loving Gaius in truth. And, and he's simply... Yeah, trying to show us uh, or trying to show Gaius that their their partnership, the love that he has for him, is rooted in 
the foundation of sharing in the truth of Christ. Okay. Um, and then in verse two, uh, beloved. So we're going to see this term beloved. We saw it in verse one. We're going to see it multiple times throughout the book. It's clear that John has a pastoral, uh, yeah, just deep affection for Gaius. Uh, so his writing to Gaius is, yeah, it's intended to be encouraging. It's intended to be helpful. He's intending, he's intending even with his words, to build Gaius up and, and to, yeah, to help him. Um, but he prays for him. He, he prays that all may go well with you, uh, that you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. Um, many of the commentators that I read on this verse, um, yeah, they, they uh, pointed out how prosperity teachers, prosperity gospel, uh, so-called gospel teachers, uh, will point to this verse as evidence that we should pray for physical blessing, uh, for, uh, for uh, health. What, what are the problem? What, what problem do you see here in this verse with, with taking that view or using this verse to support that? Particularly, look at the last phrase. What is the last phrase? As it goes well with your soul. As it goes well with your soul. So he's, and then even in verse 3, for I rejoice greatly, and he's going to talk about how he knows that it does go well with his soul. Um, and so the problem with latching on to a verse like this is what's already established is that Gaius in his soul is well. Gaius is well. He doesn't need physical health to be well. Now, I, I say that, yeah, in, in, in a, um, yeah, just in refutation of a prosperity gospel that would highlight and exalt uh, physical health above all. But does that mean that we should pray for holistic well-being? And physical health does it mean that no it doesn't and he's modeling that for us I pray that all may go well with you that you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul he desires his holistic well-being okay um, John's modeling for us how we ought to pray uh, in, in that sort of way uh, and often if we look back at many even of, of Paul's letters in the New Testament often what is Paul's focus as he's praying for other Christians what does it tend to be? He tends to focus on desire for God to, to mature them in Christ and godliness, right? So I think these things help frame the way that we pray for one another, uh, that we want to pray for the spiritual well-being. We want to look for evidences of God's grace uh, to be encouraged in, um, yeah, in, in how brothers and sisters are doing and the work that God is doing in them. Uh, but it is right for us also to pray uh, for just well-being in, in, every, in every manner. Okay. Um, yeah. So, but verse 3, he's going to give us, uh, whenever you see the word for, uh, in, in this way, for I rejoice greatly. What does that indicate for us in the text? Reason. Yeah, reason. Yeah, he's giving an explanation. Why is it that he's confident, uh, at the, as he says at the end of verse 2, it goes well with your soul. Why is it that he's confident? Well, for I rejoice greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truth, as indeed you are walking in the truth. Um, 
Yeah, he, his explanation, he sees brothers have come and given a good report of the way that Gaius is living. Right? Gaius is modeling uh, in some way, which we're going to unpack here as we, as we uh, go into the rest of the verses here in a moment. But in some way, uh, it's evident and obvious to brothers who have visited Gaius and brought a report back to, to John, it's obvious that Gaius is, is doing well. It's obvious that he is believing the truth and seeking to walk in the truth. Um, yeah, and so he's not, he's not saying, uh, e- even as you see the phrase, testify to your truth. Uh, Gaius doesn't have his own truth. Uh, we don't have our own truth. Truth, truth is not relative. Uh, rather, uh, he's, he's, he's speaking to the fact that Gaius is owning the truth. Right? He, for himself, is owning uh, the shared truth of Jesus Christ. Um, yeah, what's been revealed in the scriptures. Uh, and it's evidence, evident, evidenced by the way that Gaius is living. Okay? Um, yeah, so these brothers have come back. They've given a report. And, um, yeah, it is, it is clear that, that Gaius is um, yeah, walking with the Lord. And specifically, he points out here... It's evidenced by the fact that he's, he's walking in the truth. It's also, in verses 5 and 6, it's evidenced, uh, the beginning of 6, these brothers also testify to his love before the church. Um, so both he's holding to both truth and love, and these things serve together as evidence of, of the well-being of Gaius' soul. Um, yeah, and, and for John... Uh, he says in verse 4, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. This is a real, this is a real pastor's heart here. There's nothing for John that could bring him more joy, more satisfaction than to know that his children are, um, are believing the truth. They're walking in it. The fruit of their life is evidence of their, their relationship with Jesus uh, and the well-being of their soul. Uh, yeah, so this is, um, yeah, because what, what if they're not walking uh, in the truth? Would that bring him sorrow? Yeah, why? What does that mean? What does it mean for them? They're falling track to the schemes of the enemy. Yeah. To their own self. Yeah. It's, yeah, they're, they're falling trapped to the schemes of the enemy. Uh yeah, they they would have lost their way. They would uh, be, yeah, in wrong relationship with God, um, yeah, and face him in judgment. And so, um, yeah, for John, he knows. Oh man, I I see this brother, one of my children. Uh, whether that's whether he directly led him to know Jesus, whether he uh, indirectly led him to know Jesus through his ministry. In some way, he's had some part to play uh, in uh, yeah, the belief that Gaius has, um, the Lord working through him, of course. But um, yeah, he can look to Gaius and say, man, I'm, I'm so excited to hear that you're doing well. Uh, there's nothing that could bring me more joy than to know that you, uh, you are blessed by the Lord, that you have the promise of his resurrection, uh, that you will spend eternity with him. Um, yeah, and that even now you're experiencing the satisfaction of walking with him in faithfulness. Dennis? Yeah, in 
Yeah. 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 Simply that. Uh, yeah. To. Uh, so, uh, is it Proverbs one uh, is going to tell us the the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, right? So this is God's world. He's made it. He's designed it. Uh, he is sovereign over it. To see anything in the world rightly is to acknowledge the way that he's made things to be and that he is its ruler, right? To reject that leads us into all kinds of wrong, wrong things, uh, wrong understanding. That's where we get the, oh, we, we just have to find truth for ourselves. We need God to actually reveal truth to us. And so, um, yeah, about who he is, about the things I've just said, how he's made things to be, about, uh, yeah, his relationship with his people, about who we are, about who we're subject to. Um, yeah, we, we need God to speak into all these things. And yeah, praise God by his grace, he has done that. Uh, and, and so, yeah, I think he's not intending to say your truth as though uh, Gaius has his own sort of understanding or his own sort of um, yeah, perception of reality uh, that's right. He's saying that Gaius's experience, Gaius's wa- Gaius's walk, is in accordance with the truth revealed by God. Does that make sense? Does that answer what you're asking? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. Wow. Sure. Yeah. So, um, for what it's worth, kind of that conveys it's not something that is invented by Gaius, but it is something that he has held onto. Yeah, that's good. Can you guys hear that? Okay, in the back. Great. Um, yeah. Any any other questions or comments on these first four verses? the that's that's really good yeah I, I think even of of jesus um yeah when he heals the the uh the man who is lame who is laying laying on a bed who is paralyzed 
and he said, your, your sins are forgiven. And the Pharisees are skeptical of him. And so he says, so that you may know that the Son of Man has uh, authority on earth to forgive sins, rise, pick up your, your bed, and walk. Uh, the, the phys- what he's doing physically uh, is to show support for what he does, um, yeah, for the authority that he has uh, to forgive sins, to make somebody well in their soul. Um, so yeah, I think that's really good. You would not want to gain the world, uh, Jesus says elsewhere, and lose your soul. Uh, because you, in losing your soul, have actually gained nothing and lost everything uh, in, in the final rendering of things. Um, yeah, or Moses saying, God, we're not going without you. If you don't go with us, we're not, we can't go anywhere. You know? So there's so, so many things that we can look to in the scriptures and see um, yeah, that we, what we want is to be blessed by the Lord in walking with him no matter what. Uh, no matter what afflictions come to us physically, uh, we have the hope of resurrection. We have the hope of, regardless of yeah, the, way our, the ways our bodies deteriorate now, the ways that we feel the wasting away um, yeah, of, of, our, of our bodies, of our flesh, um, yeah, we have the hope that these are light, momentary afflictions uh, and that in the end, we will rise with the Lord. We will be glorified. Pain will be gone, etc. Yeah. So that's that's wonderful. <clears throat> let's go. Uh, let's go. Verse five. So here we have the beginning of, uh, yeah, a, a commendation. So, verse five, beloved, it is a faithful thing you do. He's still speaking here of of Gaius's ministry. Beloved, it is a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are, who testify to your love before the church. You will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God. So now it's, now it's more apparent, Gaius, what's his relationship like with these brothers who have come, uh, who have testified to his walking in the truth? What's his relationship like with them? Strangers. Strangers. Gaius doesn't even know them well. Um, yeah. In some way, he's judged them rightly. Uh, and, and it seems like John, is, John likely knows them as well and can vouch for them as well. And he wants to encourage Gaius in his ministry to them. Uh, but, but Gaius, it's evident that Gaius is showing hospitality to brothers who, have, who are traveling and, and teaching uh, the word uh, and he doesn't even have a close relationship with them. Uh, and yet he's loving them. So they walk away, verse 6, they walk away testifying to, uh, to his love. His love is famous. It is known outside of his congregation. Uh, his love is being talked about in other congregations. See, what's, what's happening is, is in, in this time period, in the, in the you know, first century, as Christians are going out and proclaiming the gospel uh, in, in places where it hasn't been heard, um, they need churches on, along their way. They need other churches to support them. They need other churches to contribute to the ministry so that it can keep going. Uh, because if, yeah, if, the, if the finances stop, they got to stop because they got to find a way to, to get some food. They got to find a way to... Uh, get some shelter, you know, and so, um, yeah, 
And, and so Gaius meets their need, right? It's a faith, verse 5, it's a faithful thing you, to, you do in all your efforts for these brothers. So it's not effortless. It doesn't just happen. It's Gaius is making intentional, uh, yeah, intentional efforts. Uh, he's doing it on purpose to show faithful, um, yeah, to, to show love to faithful brothers in proclaiming the gospel. Uh, John 13, 34 to 35. Um, why don't I get that real quick and read that for us? John, because Jesus is going to say, I give you a new command. Somebody, when you have it, read it out loud for us. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love one another. Yeah. So he says, love one another. In what way? Just as I have loved you. Which, how has Jesus done that? How has he loved his people? Laid down his life. Laid down his life. Yeah. So, in order to follow Jesus' command, love one another as I have loved you, what does that call to us? It's to sacrifice, right? It's to give sacrificially at cost to ourselves. Um... It's, it's to love them in a way that when others see it, what, are they, what is their experience with that? Prayerfully a taste of Christ. Yeah. yeah, they get a taste of Christ. As I have loved you, so also you must love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples. There's something peculiar about the love uh, that brothers and sisters are to have with one another. Um, one of sharing and everything. One of being willing to give up uh, things that we own or um, give up rights that we have. It's a, it's a real sacrifice uh, that shows our love and affection for Jesus and it's expressed in our love and affection for his, for his people. And so this is what Gaius has done. The kind of love that he has shown is famous um, and, and John has heard of it. And he says, you will do well to send them, to send these brothers on their journey in a manner worthy of God. I mean, what a standard. But I think he's, he's talking about that standard, the standard that Jesus has given. Send them on a manner that makes it evident to those who they go and minister to, who hear from them. It makes it evident to them that, uh, yeah, that this is a, a special kind of love that we have. Um, it makes it evident uh, that, um, yeah, this is, a, this is a great God who would command such things. Why should he do that? Well, verse 7, for they have gone out for the sake of the name. Their going out is for, what's the name? Yeah, it's, it's the name of Jesus, right? They're going out proclaiming that Jesus has come that he has died, that he has lived perfectly, that he has risen from the dead, that he is the eternal king. They're going out and proclaiming his kingdom. Uh, and in doing so, they're accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Uh, yeah, 
Gentiles here is, is I think, simply trying to convey to us that unbelievers are not receiving uh, material wealth or, or yeah, money from, uh, from those who don't believe uh, as a testament to the support uh, that, is, yeah, that is shared among believers. And yeah, so he said, John says, we, we should support people like that. People whose concern is not their own material gain. Their concern is sharing in the responsibility of ministry with other believers for the glory of God. Their concern is the, their concern is the name of Jesus. Uh, and, that's, and that's clear here from, from uh, the way these brothers are carrying themselves. He says we should support people like this. Um, so, question for you guys. Do you think it's a sin for... Uh, for Christian missionaries to receive money from unbelievers. I think that's what John is conveying. It's not a leading question. <laughs> no. No. I wouldn't say it's a sin. I, I would say it could be unwise because by taking their money, they then may try and influence how you do ministry. Good. So... Yeah, so if you didn't hear Justin, he said, no, not necessarily sin, but it may be unwise because in taking their money, they may actually influence how you do ministry. That's great. Dennis? Yeah, so it's the example of George Mueller, uh, who didn't ask for money, talked about what the work they were doing and how they were doing, but he made it a point not to ask for money, and the Lord always provided, provided for him. Rusty? I wasn't going to say that. That's a great point, though. Um, yeah, I think it, it gives the opportunity for... Uh, and, and, and yeah, it gives the opportunity for believers to love them well. And what does it communicate? I'm not here to take your money. Take your money. That's not why I'm here. I'm, I'm here because I want you to hear this message. I'm here because I want you to know Jesus. There's nothing in it for me. I'm not gaining anything from you uh, other than the joy of you walking with us and being blessed by God alongside mm-hmm. us. That's really good. Um, yeah, examples. I mean, Paul. Uh, yeah, Paul in. Um, yeah, First Corinthians nine, verse twelve. Actually, I'll start in eleven. If we have sown spiritual things among you, is it too much if we reap material things from you? 
If others share this rightful claim on you, do we not even more? Nevertheless, we have not made use of this right, but we endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. And that's, and that's exactly what, what Rusty was just talking about. Paul is an example. Or, or you think back to Genesis. You have Abraham, who has just rescued Lot. And the king of Sodom comes to him and says, I'm going to give you some spoils. And what does Abraham say? What's his reply? I will take nothing from you. I don't want spoils. I, I will not give you any ability to say that you made Abraham rich. It is God that makes Abraham rich. Now, I agree. Just want to sum all, all of it up to say I agree with what Justin said. I don't think it's sinful um, necessarily. I think we just have to use a lot of wisdom as we think about the money that we receive and the kinds of, um, yeah, the kinds of ways that it could be compromising uh, or, or an obstacle, as Paul says, to, to the gospel. Um, you know, so, so, so what should we do? We should support brothers and sisters who are going out for the sake of the name. We should support them um, so that that's not even a question. They don't need to go get money from the Gentiles because we as Christians, as a church, we are supporting uh, this work. We are supporting the advance of the gospel. It is the thing that matters most to us. Um, yeah, so Paul, Paul himself experienced this. Uh, the Philippian church supported him on his, uh, on his missionary journey when he and Silas are going out from Macedonia. Philippian church contributes to his needs to help, con- help continue pushing him along his way. Um, yeah, but you see the Macedonian churches supporting other churches uh, in the work of the ministry to, to uphold them and to keep them going. And so you see just this, this sort of network of, and partnership of relationships in the church that helps them do ministry together. Tess, were you raising your hand? Yeah, I do. I do. Yeah. Practical, hypothetical. So let's say you know somebody who is planning to go out on the mission Yeah. and is sending out just information, update letters, not asking for support, but knows that at some point, Sure. So when they get to that point where they actually support raising and this letter continues with updates to go out and they want to support, do you say no? Yeah, no. I so I'm not trying to say you say no. I'm simply saying, um, yeah, we, we have examples obviously of Times where asking unbelievers for money is a is a hindrance to the gospel for them, uh, and and perhaps if if they if that has some sway in the way that we do ministry, that's a hindrance to the gospel. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think sending those letters to family members, I, I think we have to think about it case by case, though. I think it depends on the family member. It probably yeah, I think it has to include what is giving to this work. What does it actually mean to them? Um, are they giving because they support me? Are they giving because they're supporting the work? Are they giving because in some way they think they're earning something with God? Um, though I just would want to ask all those kind of questions and, and just figure out on a case-by-case basis what's, what's going on here for you. Does that make sense? Yeah. yeah. I think maybe more aptly 
I see. Yeah. You're talking about how how money gets put into art and yeah. and ex certain depictions or expressions. Yeah. Yeah. I see. Yeah. Um, so briefly, yeah, just even even to talk about uh, yeah, just even to talk about here. Um, Yeah, as we think about supporting like-minded preaching, so an application here obviously is how do we think as Christians, as a church, how do we think about supporting uh, works that are outside of our church? Uh, are there times where we should support ministries, right? I would say we should, and we do, support like-minded um, yeah, brothers uh, families who are who are going out and preaching the gospel as revealed in the scriptures as we believe who obey and they teach the commands of Jesus as they're passed down in the scriptures uh, we want to support like-minded works um, yeah the, the brothers that John is commending here in third John uh, they're not concerned as we said primarily with money um, rather they're primarily concerned with the name of Jesus so we shouldn't support everyone, and we have to sift through what are people doing. Um, yeah, what is their work? Who are they? What do they believe? What are they exporting? What are they taking to the nations? Uh, what kind of churches are they? Um, yeah, how are they organizing? Uh, we shouldn't support everyone, but we should support people like like these, right? Who are like-minded. Um, how are we going to know if they're like-minded? We got we to gotta do some homework, right? We, we need to know them. So as we think about partnerships here, one of our main considerations is relationship. What's the relationship that we have with them? So all the partnerships that we have, we know all of our missionaries personally. Um, doesn't mean that every person in the congregation or even every elder knows every partner in the same way, uh, but there are our trustworthy brothers and sisters among us who know uh, uh, the the workers that we support personally, we know their reputation. Um, yeah, we know that we can trust them. We know that uh, they hold to the same gospel and the same practices that we do. We know that what marks them is love and hospitality and holiness, faithful dependence upon the Lord. They don't think too highly of themselves. Um, even here in five, six weeks, uh, Lord willing, we plan to send out uh, the Deckerts and the Brophies and 20 plus members of our church to go and to plant a church in another area south of town. Um, and we're happy, to, we're happy to commend them. In the same way that John is commending uh, these, these other brothers, yeah, we're, we're happy to commend them. Uh, we're happy to vouch for them. They're not going out as unaccountable or untested lone rangers. They're going out as people who are known. Um, they're going out as extensions of our church. And they're going out as people that we, uh, yeah, that, that have been accountable to us, that we have seen faithfully minister among us. And so, um, yeah, the same is true for the Copes and the Butmans, if you know them, who planted uh, recently outside of Boston. They spent uh, years of their time here. Um, 
there's good works that we're supporting right now in Scotland, in Turkey, in Kenya, in Thailand. The Thailand church just planted formally last Sunday. Um, South Sudan, Dubai, West Asia, all these, all these people, there are, there are brothers among our elders who talk to them, who know them, who are keeping tabs uh, on, on how they're doing. And we consider them yeah, faithful fellow workers for the gospel. Uh, Lyle, you can ask a question. I was just going to observe that a lot of this also strikes me as mirror image of what we talked about in Second John. Yeah. Testing the doctrine yeah. of the false teachers. Don't welcome them and advance their ministry. And this is the positive vision here. Yeah. Well, we've tested them. We trust them. We support them. So I just thought that was a really cool way to see how yeah. John's themes in these epistles come back. Yeah, our, our, our hospitality and our, um, our usage of resources, the love that we give, uh, it, it has a stewardship to it. Right? We, it has a responsibility to it uh, because by supporting and propping up bad works, actually John says in Second John, don't do that, that you're taking part in their wicked works by doing that. No, you have to, you have to be good stewards. You have to use your resources and your time and, and the, the love that you're giving, you have to give that and you have to say the truth and you have to do that for, um, for good works. We want to be, be a part of that. That's good. Um, yeah, and even an, another, another thing that we'll do here is one of the line items in our missions budget, uh, beyond just the support that we're giving to various, various partners, uh, commitments that we've made, we also have a bucket uh, in our missions budget that's called hospitality and resources for partners. That's so that when they come visit, uh, when they come to our, our place, our neck of the woods, we don't want them to come here and we don't want it to cost them anything. We want to love them and we want to encourage them. We want them when they leave us to know, hey, there's a church in Alexandria, Virginia that cares about us, that loves us, who supports us in the work. And when, they're, when they are tempted toward discouragement, they know that there's other, other Christians on the other side of the world who love them, and it, and it helps them keep going. Um, not, only, not only the resources that we send, but also just the way that we have related with them. We're, we're sharing with them in the love of Christ. Um, uh, if, yeah, just a practical, a practical thing for us. Uh, if you don't know who those are, we don't currently have all of those partners listed in one place, like on the website. What we have, uh, you know, as we, as we do a budget uh, in our members packet, it lists all of our partnerships, very generally what they do. Uh, if you would like that, please reach out to us. I'm happy to share that with you. Um, Jason's happy to share that with you. So just please let us know. But our, our evening services, when we have evening services, we try to give uh, almost every time we try to give some update on one of our at least one of our partners uh, outside of our church. And so, Jason, go ahead. Well, we've started we've started to put them in the in uh, the That's directory right. as well. If people want to yep. There. Yeah. So you can so you can membership directory. If you didn't hear Jason in the is in the front. Yeah, like page three or something. Yeah. So somewhere in the front around page three. There's a page that details who our partnerships are, so that you can so that you can pray for them. Uh, but you can hear better updates on at evening services 
uh, once a month in the newsletter that, uh, that the, the staff sends out, you'll see a report there as well about one of the partners. And so, um, yeah, so practical way to, to think about who, who we're supporting. That said, let's go. We have, a, we have a, not everyone is a good kind of partner. We have a bad example. Uh, verse 9, uh, we're introduced to uh, diatrophies. Okay, so he says, verse 9, I have written something to the church, but Diotrephes, who likes to put himself first, does not acknowledge our authority. So if I come, I will bring up what he is doing, talking wicked nonsense against us. And not content with that, he refuses to welcome the brothers and also stops those who want to and puts them out of the church. Why is it a problem if Diotrephes doesn't recognize John and those with him? Why is it a problem if he doesn't recognize their authority? Okay, causes division, yeah. Tell me about, who is, who is John? He's an apostle. What does apostle mean? Someone who walked with Jesus. It means literally means sent one. He's not coming on his own authority. He's, he has come bringing a message from God. He's come on the authority of God. Paul spends the first two chapters of Galatians defending his apostleship. Why would he do that? Because he wants them to know my message is not a message of man. The message I come with is a message from God. He sent me. The same thing applies to John. John's message is not from himself. His message is from God. And that's why he can say in, uh, where is it, down in verse, uh, the end of verse 12, he says, you know that our testimony is true. Because Gaius knows who John is. Gaius knows where John comes from. Gaius knows the message that John has brought. He knows that his testimony is, is true. He knows that anyone knows how we're, how we're called to live, it's John. Uh, and so, yeah, so here we have this example, Diotrephes, uh, who doesn't acknowledge the apostle's authority. He doesn't, uh, he, he's not primarily concerned with that. What's he primarily concerned with? What do you see? Himself. Himself. Yeah. He likes to put himself first. So... Yeah, he likes to put himself first. He's, we see in verse 10, uh, he's talking wicked nonsense against, uh, against us, against John and, and those with him. Uh, yeah, it's nonsensical. It doesn't make sense to speak out against the Lord's sent one. Um, yeah, and he doesn't stop there. He even refuses to welcome, or he refuses to welcome these and, and show hospitality to these brothers who are going out preaching the true gospel. Uh, and, and even when they try to, he stops them and he throws them out of the church. Why? I mean, this is a guy with uh, he just he just does what he wants. He answers to no one. He's accountable to no one. Okay. It seems like he's some he's he's definitely some kind of leader. Uh, because because he has the ability to put people out of the church, um, 
is is he an elder? I I don't know. Um, yeah, but he's some sort of leader who has uh, some amount of control. It's as though John wrote a letter to the church. Diotrephes is the one who received it. He's the one who stopped it. So we're not reading this to the church because we're not we're not supporting uh, we're not supporting these missionaries. Uh, don't welcome them. Don't show hospitality to them. I don't want them to come and share the gospel with you. I don't want them to come and 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 hold me accountable uh, with what they say. So we're going to put a stop to that. Um, yeah, he likes to put himself first. He's arrogant. Uh, he's slanderous. He's inhospitable. He's controlling. Colossians 1, 15 to 20, I think it's verse 19. It's talking about Jesus. It says uh, that, that in everything, Jesus is to be preeminent. You know what the word preeminent means? It means to have the first place. Jesus is to have the first place. Diotrephes, he wants to be first. He wants to have the first place. And so this is a kind of leader that is not to be followed. Because as, as our sister here in the back said a moment ago, following him, the fruit of his ministry, is one of division. It's one that does not further the gospel. It's, it's a ministry that is about himself and all he wants around him are yes men and those who submit to him. And that is not a way to have a church. That is not a church. But thankfully, we don't just have bad examples. We also have good examples. So verse 11, Beloved, do not imitate evil, but imitate good. Whoever does good is from God. Whoever does evil has not seen God. Demetrius has received a good testimony from everyone and from the truth itself. We also add our testimony, and you know that our testimony is true. Right? So here you have, you have this exhortation, Beloved, don't, don't imitate evil. Don't imitate diatrophies. And don't, and don't answer evil with evil. Uh, don't be, don't, yeah, don't fall to his schemes. Don't be like him. Rather, imitate good. I'm going to give you, not only is, not only is Gaius a good example for the congregation, but in writing to Gaius, he says, Gaius, here's another, here's, here's another good example. Here's, here's Demetrius. Um, yeah, Hebrews 13, 7. Remember your leaders. As you go uh, yeah, further in, in, in those couple of verses, remember your leaders and imitate their faith. Demetrius, he's received a good testimony. Everyone has seen Demetrius' works. Everyone has seen how he treats people, the hospitality that he shows. Everyone has seen it, and everyone gives testimony that this is a brother. He's from God. He does good. We know, we know what he believes because of how he lives. Um, and, and not only are others commending him, the truth, the truth of God's word, if you if you know it, if you study it, if you know what God's people are called to be like, this guy, is, he's doing it. God's word commends him. And then so does, yeah, so does John the Apostle and those with him. Kevin. Yeah, um, in, at the very, very beginning of the greeting, there's a lot of yous. Yeah. And, um, in Second John, um, that was a plural you. And so 
So I'm just curious uh, whether a lot of the use there are the plural or the individual. So like, is this written directly to Gaius, or is it to Gaius because his letter to the church was stopped by Diotrephes that is actually kind of the you plural sure. to other yeah. members of the church as well? To be honest with you, I didn't look at that. Um, yeah, I think because of the way he's writing to Gaius about these examples, I think he's trusting that Gaius is going to uh, is going to help lead the church uh, in the in the ways that yeah they ought to go and the kinds of works they ought to support how the, the hospitality they ought to show to um, yeah to these missionaries. I, I don't I don't know the answer. I'm assuming that it's directly to Gaius, but that it's not going to stop with Gaius if that makes sense. Um, good. It's a good question, though. Yeah, remember your leaders. Imitate their faith. As you just think about, just for a moment, some of the leaders that you have, what are some of the ways you can imitate their faith? What are some examples of things you've seen in leaders that you're like, I want to imitate that? And I should imitate that. Humility. Humility. Good. Any so any particular person? Sure. Speak up just a tad. Good. It's really good. I think not only um, in contrast to the one who put himself first in the sense of pride, but also just in being sacrificial with time and putting other people first and their needs. It's good. Yeah. I can think of lots of people mm-hmm. that come to my mind right now. Rusty Siegelog is sitting right there. Rusty has served the church so faithfully for so many years, so quietly. Um, Rusty has always been quick to, to whatever the church needs, whatever's helpful. If it's leading music, if it's teaching a class, if it's running AV, if it's showing up to run a live stream for a Q&A, whatever, whatever is needed, Rusty shows up and does it. Justin and Laura Hughes, right here. I mean, the, the amount of time they spend caring for members in the church as needs come up is it's sacrificial. It's always done with humility. It's always done with um, joy. And yeah, so thank you guys. I told Brian Davis, we, we had a time before he left. We went around the circle at the elders table and each of us said, gave him some encouragement. I told Brian, brother, your, your zeal for the Lord is evident. It's, it's something that I want to be like you in. Um, and I could do that with all of our elders. Jason Seville is right here. I love this brother's boldness. 
his, his unafraidness to, to speak the truth in love. Um, I want to be like that too. And, you know, sorry to put all you guys on the spot, but you know what? You guys are encouraging. Other people should know that you're encouraging. And we could, we could do that. We could go down the line and talk about leaders and the ways we ought to emulate them. And that's what John says. And, and Demetrius, he's, he's doing that. He's an example to follow. Look for brothers and sisters who are not about themselves, who are about the kingdom of Jesus, and imitate them, be like them. Verse 13, I had much to write to you, but I would rather not write with pen and ink. I hope to see you soon, and we will talk face to face. I think many of us learned during a pandemic recently, there's nothing like being face to face. Um, John longs, John, yeah, John longs to be with Gaius. Whatever conversations are going to continue, he wants to, he wants to have them in person. He has a lot more to say, but it's clear that he loves, he loves Gaius. He wants to be with him. He wants to be helpful. Um, he wants to talk with him. And then his final words, peace to you. The friends greet you. Uh, greet the friends each by name. Right? So the, the peace here that he's wishing upon Gaius, that he's speaking upon Gaius, this is the peace uh, that's promised and belongs to God's people uh, by the blood of Jesus' cross. All right? What's, what's promised is blessing, protection, provision, uh, for those who, who are God's people in Christ. And so John, yeah, the friends greet you. Greet the friends each by name. He's encouraging loving friendship among believers in other churches, which we, yeah, we ought to strive for as, as well. Any questions or, or final comments? Excellent. Uh, Justin Hughes, will you pray for us? Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for your word. Uh, we thank you that you've preserved it, that we have it in a language we understand, uh, that you've given us your spirit to yeah, to apply it to our hearts. Uh, Lord, we thank you for our brother Chris and for his teaching. Uh, we thank you for all his labors in the church. Uh, we thank you for his love for your, your people, for his love for Christ, for his, his serving, his sacrifice, his self-control. Um, Father, help us as we seek to apply these things. Help us to imitate good and not evil. Uh, help us to support the work of missionaries who are like-minded, who seek to bring the gospel to all nations. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. Thanks, y'all. Thank you.